Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by J.J. Cooper. We're in the Baseball America podcast nook, and we want to thank all of you for the download. We've been a little inconsistent here in the fall, thanks to our uh, our, our show on Sirius XM on uh, MLB Network Radio every Sunday night. We're going on hiatus with the playoffs on Sirius XM Radio. So more podcast goodness will be coming your way from Baseball America. We got to talk to somebody, Jay. Right? Oh, we, we do. Uh, we're both we're both I think a little bleary eyed after uh, one of the best nights of baseball that I can remember last night. It was a crazy night. So we're going to talk major leagues today on the Baseball America podcast. And JJ, the first part of it for me was a question I left for my Twitter followers, and I'll pose it to you. Where does Evan Longoria's home run rank in the all-time dramatic home runs of baseball lore? And I think the biggest baseball home runs of all time, especially with your old-timers, are your Bobby Thompson home run, mm-hmm. your Bill Mazeroski home mm-hmm. run, which I would say that Mazeroski, Game 7 of World Series, I think that's the, home run is the best home run of all time. I think that is the greatest home run of all time. You have the Carlton Fisk home run. The, yeah, I'm doing my have, hair motions, right. which you can't see. Yeah, that would be good for the, Actually, for the this way, yeah. if we were on ESPN, the Ocho, yeah. who were simulcast. Um, you've got your Aaron Boone home run was brought up to me, 2003. Uh, you've got Big Poppy's home run to the 2004 uh, championship. He had a pretty dramatic home run for the Red Sox in the championship series against the uh, against the Yankees. Yeah, you, you, have, you haven't mentioned Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson's home run is one of the epic home runs. That has not come up on the Twitter. That's people, interesting because that's, to me. People just think of Kirk Gibson as a fine manager. To me, that's that's got to be in the top. Probably in our the top lifetime, of that's probably the number one home run. I, I have to say so because, because that, the Fisk home run is dramatic, but the Red Sox didn't win that World Series. The right. Dodgers did. Right, whereas the Dodgers, that was the it, – it was the best, to me, the best moments, and this is what last night qualified as. The best moments in baseball are the moments that if you said this was a baseball movie, yeah, yeah. you'd laugh at it because you say no. Yeah, the guy like, with one leg. Like Kirk Gibson. Off, off Dennis Skip, you know, I can give you one swing. You know. Podna, sure as I'm sitting here, if he goes 3-2, he's going to throw you a backdoor slider. You know. El Didier, the whole thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then going up there and doing it and then limping around the, uh, the, the bases with the fist time. pump. The brake lights as the ball lands, the brake lights of the Dodger fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, Dodger fan driving off like, oh, crap, I yeah. just left that. Yeah, I don't think there were any Red Sox fans. Uh, my sister was at the Baltimore game, uh, the Orioles. Red no, there Sox were a lot of Red Sox night. fans there because there were no Oriole fans at the end well, of the game. She lives, for, she lives in Towson. I'm outing her on this podcast. She lives in Towson. Her husband is originally from the Boston area, so he's a Red Sox fan. But I've I've cr- criticized her for raising her tro- her children Red Sox fans in Baltimore. I think that's pretty lame. I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm allowed to root whoever the heck I want to from Fayetteville, North Carolina. She's in a major league city. I don't think it's allowed. But her daughter had a Red Sox sign and everything. But they, you know, they had that rain delay, lightning. No, I, they didn't I know. Stick I'll around. say this: if you've got kids I think at the there game, were a lot of, I think there were a lot of Red Sox fans in, at the at the Orioles game last night who did stick around, and they saw a gory ending. 
Well, again, it, it, it beats the implausibility test. The fact that the Rays were down seven to nothing. Yes. And we're down to seven six, two outs in the ninth with Dan Johnson, who, uh, crazy enough, me and you had been talking about the possibility yes. that day of Dan Johnson being the guy at the plate in the key situation. I don't know what, what both of us me, having seen Dan Johnson in Durham. I don't know for me, many a day. What made me pull out Dan Johnson and not Rouge? You know, not Justin Ruggiano or Reed Brignac or some such, but. Dan Johnson proves to be the guy. What was he hitting? 108? 108. 108? And he had his last, his last hit in the big 20, leagues. His last hit in the big leagues was April 27th before That's it. that. Yeah, he had nine hits in the big leagues all year. Number 10. And do remember, Dan Johnson was the original starting first baseman oh, yeah. for the Rays this year. I mean, that's... Much was expected of him coming into the yeah, and, 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 and you have to say, in the in the long run, it worked out. <laughs> in the long run, thanks to Casey Kochman's tremendous season, it worked out. But uh, just real quick on this part of the podcast, JJ, focus on the the teams that won, the Cardinals and the Rays. We can, I think, we're going to need a lot of negativity elsewhere. I don't think we need to talk much about the Red Sox, but there is something to the Red Sox and the Braves. Like the one thing I'll just say is, is that. We'll if you don't, yeah, I was gonna say, but if you don't mention the injuries, yeah, you know, like what we'll talk about here on the on the podcast when we talk about them is going to be about the injuries and what that means with the farm systems and all. Like we're not, sure. there's no That's, reason to debate who was batted second. You know why Carl right. Crawford was not why very is, good this year? Why is know. Tim Bogar waving everyone? Why the, you know the, these kind of things. I do think the contrast between Tampa's homegrown pitching and the Red Sox lack thereof is amazingly stark. And that Boston, and also with the Yankees, both those two teams had much better years with young pitchers who are basically new to the big leagues than Boston did. They both have a rookie starter who's in the discussion for rookie of the year. Ivanova in New York, who's going to start game two of the playoffs for them, 16-4. and four. Jeremy Hellickson, minor league player of the year last year, could be rookie of the year this year. You know, I think we just crunched the numbers yesterday. Matt Eddy saw that he had 10 starts against Boston, New York, and Toronto. and had like a 380 ERA in those 10 starts. I mean, that's that's a gauntlet. You know, you got the two best lineups in the American League, and then for in terms of runs scored, Boston and New York. And then Toronto with Jose Batista, that was a lethal offense as well. Um, and so, but the Red Sox, no rookie pitcher. When they had to go to a rookie pitcher, it's Kyle Weiland. And Even their homegrown guys like a Clay Buckholz who broke down, Daniel Bard who wore down, Jonathan Papelbon who had a great year, but ultimately is undone by the, you know, vicious trio of Nolan Reimold, Chris Davis, and Robert Andino that takes him down. Which, it, it's funny, but even though normally you see a guy do this, you saw Willie Bloomquist do this several years ago now, who a guy can have a great playoffs, and who did it for the Mets? Uh, well, Joe McEwing did it a long time Joe ago. Joe McEwing, and there was another, though. There was a Latin Mets. Uh, Andy Chavez. Andy Chavez, over. yeah. Like where a guy can have a great playoffs, and basically because the line between being the 25th and the 26th player yeah. on a roster is so thin at many times, uh, something like that can basically guarantee you a thousand at bats. Yeah, it's going to get you some jobs. Robert Andino. Robert Andino just got a thousand at bats, maybe. Uh, you know, thousands going too far. But I hear you. but what it means though is is that he will go into spring training next year with the Orioles expected to be on the roster, not, okay, fighting for, a spot. fighting for a spot. It's like, well, remember what he did in September. This guy could be clutch. Yeah, he got a lot of playing time for them this year. It's kind of surprising that he was fairly decent this year. 
Chris Davis, not – I mean, there's been a lot of questions about Chris Davis. Yeah. Chris Davis had a good September. Nolan Again, Reimold, too. I mean, Nolan Reimold's a guy – and the Orioles definitely deserve kudos for how hard they played. I loved how they celebrated their victory. I love how the Phillies celebrated their victory. Head down, high fives, nothing special. They did not rub it in the Braves – uh, you know, in the Braves, but also give him credit. Like again, as the note, Hunter Pence was the guy who had the big hit. He also there threw was, out. Who did he throw out of the at home plate? Uh, Dan Ugla. Yeah, I mean that was a huge play in that game. But Hunter Pence, there is every excuse for Hunter Pence to not be in the game at that point, right? And Hunter Pence is the guy who made. The, I mean, you got to give credit to the Phillies. They did not bag it in any way, shape, or form. Even though that game meant nothing to them. Conversely, I wouldn't say the Yankees bagged it, but Scott Proctor was on the mound when the last game was decided. Not only is Scott Proctor on the mound, Scott Pat- Proctor was handed the ball, and basically it appears You're told. You're taking us home, Scott. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. If but, we have to, we will be bringing Greg Golson in to, you know, to, <laughs> to follow you up or somebody. But let's, let's talk a little bit more about the Rays. I mean, the Red Sox go 7-20 and 20 in September, so that certainly helped. But the Rays seem like they're fairly well set up for the postseason, J.J., even with a poor performance by David Price yesterday. They still have James Shields. I just saw on the Twitter machine, as I like to say, that Jeff Neiman might get the game one start for them against the Rangers. Now, they faced the Rangers last year in the playoffs and did not fare so well. They lost the first two, and they won the next two, and then they lost game five to Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee's not walking through that door, but this is, I think, a better Rangers team in a lot of ways other than Cliff Lee. Other than Cliff Lee. But the thing about it is, is that when you say other than Cliff Lee, that's – <laughs> yeah, that's a big monster ball, as you would it like is, to see. It is, it is. But C.J. Wilson and Derek Holland are two no, very they, good left-handers. They're not Cliff Lee, but also that Rangers team didn't have Adrian Beltre. Right. This one does. This is a very good defensive uh, team in uh, in Texas when everything's going good. So, and that te- that last year's team did not have Mike Napoli in his Angels killing Angels fans crushing season. By the way. We talk about a player valuation and all so much at baseball market. That's 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 the heart of that what is we the do. heart of what we do. That's what we do. You know, is we we're interested in player valuation. There are very few cases where you can point to a situation and say, you know what, one failed player evaluation really probably was the difference between one team going to the playoffs and another. Right. It's usually not that cut and dry. But in this case, when you say. If you just take Mike Napoli off of the Rangers and you place him back on the Angels where he was and was never really appreciated that much, yeah, you probably are talking about the difference between and we'd be talking about, you know, well, how the Angels match up for this playoffs. It's amazing, especially if you just suck Mike Napoli at DH. Right. Put him at DH and stick instead of Vernon Wells. Stick Brian Baba Brayu in left field, and you know you're gonna have to you're gonna catch Napoli forty games, maybe fifty games, just to where where Socha doesn't have to look at him too much, and DH Abreu in those games, just remove, just just make that quick switch, and how how big of a difference does that make in these two teams? Uh, I mean that was all. The I, it was very fitting like. that in the final game of the season, and I know that that it ended up that it was over by then, so it wasn't something where we were determining the West on that series, right. but. But Mike Napoli just kind of reminds him with two home runs in the final game of the season. Hey, by the way, guys, you just didn't appreciate me enough. Yeah, the quotes I saw in uh, in Mike DiGiovanna's story in the LA Times about that, the start of the series, uh, pretty good quote by Torrey Hunter. He was like, you know, I was in Minnesota when we, le- we left uh, David Ortiz. We let David Ortiz go, and things went on pretty good for him and 
in, in Boston, and all I can do is be happy for him. And I mean, I, I, the, the all the other Angels, and I guess the Angels' excuse kind of was like, well, you know, last September he couldn't even catch. Well, this year he caught just fine. And, and but but the by the way, break. if you you know what, if you hit thirty homers in a year with a good on base, good slugging, yeah. Doesn't it matter. doesn't matter if you can't catch. If you're DH, he would have, again, this Here's, is the team that was putting Vernon Wells out there on a daily basis. Here's where you know where you've arrived. When we're doing league top 20 calls, which we all just got done doing, that issue going to press right now. When, you get, when you're doing league top 20 calls and guys are comping minor leaguers to him. I got Mike Napoli comps this year. Doing it's funny. It, it is funny how like like we can trace like there's yeah, yeah. this series like like there was the David Eckstein era yeah, where absolutely. where where every gritty gutty guy with thirty tools. I still get those. You know, was like oh you know well this guy you know ideally he could be an Eckstein type. Which the interesting thing with that is is that Skylar Stromsmo, the Canadian David Eckstein, and then. And then you get, if you're a short second baseman, well, this guy could be Dustin Pedroia. Yeah, how many Jose Altuve, how many times has Jose Altuve been compared to Dustin Pedroia? You know, and then now, and going back a little ways, you still get it occasionally, but it finally has stopped now that he's been out of baseball for a while. But every lefty with a good changeup and a 88 yeah. to 91 mile an hour fastball is a, he's a Glavin type. I mean, you, you, the the Maddox types also have faded a little bit. Well, I always, I, and I always made those Supon types. Jeff Supon right. was my and, for them. And the thing about it is, is the Maddox types, the thing about that, they faded away even as Maddox was kind of his career was ending just because people were like, look, because there never was a Maddox type. There never was a Maddox type. Comp, what it would be is is that the Max comp was, well, you know, this guy's not Greg Maddox, but exactly. he's a Maddox type. Yeah, exactly. And it's like no one would ever actually, no one had the temerity to say, well, this guy could be the next Greg Maddox. It was just like, yeah, he Good doesn't throw temerity, hard. By the way, P- plus two for proper use of temerity. Um, I saw. I, I I do agree with you. That was a sign that Mike Napoli has arrived as much as anything. And uh, I, I'm not sure like when somebody's going to start getting comp to Mike Trout. I don't think it's going to happen yet. But uh, that's my biggest biggest disappointment about the Angels not being but, in the postseason. But here's the thing. This is the interesting thing. Guys don't generally they don't you don't get comp to someone. Mike Trout was unique. You're right. He's not because unique. he's unique. Because his uniqueness is in exceeding having massive tools. The guys who generally get comped, when Mike Stanton was coming up, they weren't really worried about comping him. He was like 80 power. But the guys who get these, who become legends of the comps. Right. Is like these, Vladimir these, Guerrero is actually a legend of the comp for me. Right. But are these guys who, what you're doing is, is you're saying this tool is lacking. However, look at this example of a guy who has still succeeded despite that. We were getting Eckstein comps not because Eckstein right. was the ideal shortstop. But he was the only guy like that who succeeded. Who succeeded. Pedroia was, here's this five foot seven, five foot eight guy, and by the way, he showed that you can do it. And uh, Tom really Lavin was, look, he's right. going to Cy Young with an 88 to 90 mile an hour fastball. And actually, the, almost every Vladimir Guerrero comp gets thrown out there because the guy has crazy plate coverage and will swing if a ball bounces. That's right. usually where that comes from. And usually like Marcelo Zuna. And I would and I would argue on that is that if you rewind on most of those comps, if Interesting. You, on most of those guys you get comp support, they don't make it because you're trying to you're trying to sum up. Not all comps don't make it, but guys I, who get comp to those kind of guys don't make it because you're comping a guy, you're saying this guy could be the next of this and you're comparing him to a guy who stands out for the very fact that he somehow made it despite who he is. You're right. That's a good point. Like, I can't remember an Eckstein comp who turned out to be 
a good big league player. Yeah, I haven't thought of any either. I, I can't think of any. The guys who they think are their ex Steins. I can't so, think of. I can't think of. I heard of. I've heard many a Glavin comp. John Halama made it <laughs> to a limited extent. Right. You may. I, I shouldn't say have not. You made rest it. your case. Yeah, but I rest my case on the John on the Halama uh, gambit. <laughs> It's John and JJ on the Baseball America podcast. We're going to take a quick break in a couple minutes, uh, but let's get back on the playoffs. JJ, what about the the Rays comeback to you? Besides the Red Sox collapse part of it, which was the uh, to you? What's the biggest key to them? So I would say I would argue the whole course of their season, them winning ninety plus games despite all their losses. I would say the biggest key for that was their starting pitching. But to me, in September, it was Evan Longoria we, being a we, monster. We talked about it at the midpoint. I mean, we. We talk baseball around these offices. That's well. right. That, it's shocking. And by the way, I mean, we, let me start by saying I don't think that any of us are that surprised that the Rays ended up being a 91 team. A 91 yeah. team. I know that there was a lot of belief, and I'm not trying to say this in, you know, now, but I, I remember saying at least around the office, maybe on a podcast, I don't remember. You know, I think this Rays team will be very good because yes, they lost Carl Crawford. You could say, oh, they're you know real trouble. Right. They, they lost their bullpen, but if you have pieces that they have, if you have a starting rotation that every day is right. going to have you in the game, you can be one of the better teams in baseball. Still. I would actually say only two guys on their team really massively overachieved for me. Casey uh, Kochman didn't overachieve maybe in terms of his talent, but relative to his track record. Absolutely. The only time in his career he'd approached what he did this year was 2008 before he got traded by the Angels. And then I would say Kyle Farnsworth because I really didn't think Kyle Farnsworth would have a successful year-to-year. I'll I'll give you a third. Matt Joyce? No. Okay. I think Matt Joyce, this is like, this is the upper limit of Matt Joyce. Right. That's what I would say. But I think that's within the range of, you could have said, I think James Shields. Not that James Shields was not a good pitcher. Yeah, but this was maybe, this this was probably the upper limit for him, too. But James Shields' staff ace is not something that you would have ever really probably projected. You know, coming into the season, or really, especially coming off of—I mean, he had a coming off of last year. season. You would never say that, but I mean, Jay, I mean, he was—he was very good for them in he's 2008. Been good, but he's never been 250 uh, innings. I think should get Cy Young award votes. You know, if there's anyone on that team who gets Cy Young award votes, to me, it should be James Shields. I mean, uh, I, I don't think—I I don't think you can say that this year is his 2008 year was comparable, though. Not the same, but comparable. He threw 30 more innings this year, and but it was like it was a comparable season. You know, but, um, but no, I, I do think that we were talking in midseason. We said, you know, if what really's hurt the the Rays is Longoria hasn't been Evan Longoria yet, and then really ever since then, Evan Longoria has been Evan Longoria, and they're still not. I mean, the, look, the the way that they end up going home next week is the pitching's good, but the bats just don't produce enough. Because, but, but the reality of this is, if you say, okay, what then they. The reason they could be bathing in uh, champagne in you know the start of November would be that the pitching's so good, right? And they win a lot of four to three, you know, five to four games and things like that. Which hey, not only can they do that, but we're in an era now where that's much more the norm, right? Than it was if you're saying that five to ten years ago. The reality is is that in the playoffs, I think a team like that, built like that, has is more consistent. And I would say is more dangerous than like a Yankees team, which feasts on beating up on pitchers in the regular season. But those teams, power-based teams, always have a little bit, to me, uh, a little bit of a disadvantage. This is I haven't run the numbers on this or anything, but I would agree. But I think that those 
you're facing the best pitching in the playoffs. Yeah. And so if you are a defense and if you're a defense and pitching based team and you figure out a way to, you know, to hit a solo homer or string together a couple of walks and a hit or something like that and you get three runs, that's one thing. But if you are a team that's better built to win the six to four game or the eight to seven game, right. that then that's to me it's a lot harder to do that because if you don't get the walks, if you don't get the base runners to get it started. Right. If you're the Oakland A's moneyball era team offense where you really have one way that you're going to win. You're gonna draw walks and you're gonna hit a home run. The Rays are a little bit more multidimensional. No, they're than, not than a New little bit more. They're almost you, you could really argue those teams aren't the exact opposites or anything like that because they because both were built on built on pitching. But the Red but Sox do. I mean, the Red Sox, the Yankees do still have Brett I'm Gardner. Saying, I'm saying the oh, those, oh, the those, A's. those those moneyball A's versus right. Down. The Rays run the base as well. They play great defense. Correct. They do all those. Oh, yeah, no, things. I'm not comparing yeah. them to those teams. I'm to, to the A's at all. I'm just saying the A's were a complete one-dimensional club. Right. I would say the Yankees are not no. nearly that one-dimensional, but they're a lot less multi-dimensional. Right. Than, I mean, they got they've got Gardner. They've got Granderson. They've got guys who. Not to, this is not a team of station-to-station station guys. Right. That being said, I do think, I mean, that obviously the big the big question every Yankees fan probably has right now is, okay, um, so who's pitching game three? And Yeah, Ivan Nova's pitching game two, and I've, I didn't see who's pitching game three. The, the but best way to put it is I would guess that's Bart Colon. Probably Bartolo Colon. But the fact that when you're saying who's pitching game three, it's not something where you're saying, well, you could go with this guy or this guy or this guy. It's more of. Well, who's going to be right? You know, is AJ Burnett going to be in the playoff rotation? I would guess not. I would actually guess that he would pitch Game Four over Freddie Garcia. Uh, that's just my guess. That just sums up right there. Like, that's where I, I think either one of those guys would have been the third best starter for the Red Sox in September. Either no, one of true. them. No, even. I'm, 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 yeah. I don't want to get flippant here, but let's ask the question though. Take that Rays rotation. What number? starter in the Rays depth chart do you get to before you say that that guy would not have been starting for the Red Sox at the end of the year? Oh, I mean, you're going, you're going down to Chris Archer and in, in in, uh, D- Durham. You might be getting down until you get to Andy Sonnenstein because Alex Torres, no, and, he would have been Torres starting. Andy Sonnenstein would have been a guy the Red Sox would have tried to was, run out If there. he was rested, he'd been pitching game 163 if we'd have gotten to today. No, there's no doubt. By the way, uh, Evan Longoria, 17 home runs in August and September combined. At 14 up to that point, so 17 in the last two months of the season. So that, that helps. I, I, that helps. Quite one a last bit. thing before we go to our little break here, I do want to ask you. So, just random because we're talking Major League Baseball. So MVP. Oh yeah. I, I will ask you. So what? My question is: Is what do you think? I, here's my problem. Like the Jacoby, the Jacoby Ellsbury argument that was coming stronger and stronger in the last couple of days was: Look at what Ellsbury is doing in a in a pennant race. But then the follow-up, a lot of times the argument was, yeah, but if they don't make it, then he's not really a candidate. Yeah, I don't buy that. You either that's, are or you aren't. That's Yeah, I have real trouble I do with that. think that the fact that he was doing it for a contender versus does matter compared to, say, Batista. I, 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 would, I think Ellsbury actually had the best season in the American League. So I, would, I think that you can make that case. Um, so I, I think that Ellsbury, whether they got there or not, he tried everything he could right. to carry his team I, on I his could, back. I have no problem with someone who votes yada, for Ellsbury as MVP. And he just had, have, he just, on the case, his case was great. I have a problem with someone who views it as that basically it came down to whether Jonathan Papelbon gets a strikeout 
or Andino gets a hit there. I have a real problem with that being the, the differentiator because if you talk about value, even if you talk about it in the context of a pennant race, it's not. we're not talking about – I love to make this analogy probably too much – this is not a digital world. This is not an on-off where you say, okay, well, you had value because your team made it in, right. and you don't because your team didn't. Because if you do that, then really you could almost argue that the only value is to the teams who were playing. The Yankees haven't played a meaningful game in two weeks. So that's they made the playoffs, but you could even take it to the extent, you know, to that ultimate degree and say, well, but they had meaningless games. Right. I mean, yeah, that would be an absurdist degree. Oh, but, yeah, yes, no. I mean, I, I agree with you that just because well, – Yeah, because they didn't make the playoffs, you wouldn't vote for Osbury. To to you, is Matt Kemp? uh, He's easy, the the MVP for me in the National League. Uh, I'm not sure who the other big, strong candidate, I I suppose, would be. Prince Fielder. Yeah, to me, like those guys, uh, you know, Prince Fielder uh, finished second in the National League in home runs to Kemp, did he not? Um, I think so. I haven't checked the. I, don't know, I guess I, I checked it through last. I know Fielder had a big night. I don't know. There's a night. whole huge difference between those guys, except for the fact that Kemp did something that I don't know. If, I don't know what the park factors are, but I just remember growing up that nobody hit 30 home runs a year in Los Angeles, and no oh, one I, I dominated think, like he dominated. I, I guess the to qu- be one home run short of 40-40 and just miss a triple crown uh, for a team that was a 500 team, but they didn't play important games, but they were. Uh, 500 team basically based on two people. I would I would have the Dodgers sweep those National League awards of the play individual player awards. Uh, obviously not rookie of the year, but to me Kemp is your MVP and Kershaw is your Cy Young. Now if he were doing it uh, like for a last place Cubs team like Andre Dawson style, would I give it to Kemp? I'm not sure. I think he was a better player than Ryan Braun, and I think he was a better player by a bigger margin than Ryan Braun than Jose Batista was versus Jacoby Ellsbury. I, I guess I, I do think that gap between Kemp and the so field was bigger than the gap. I, I think if if Batista's season is better than Ellsbury's, it's by a hair. It's not by a, a, a huge margin. Not not for me. That's uh, that's no. And, and this is – I think this is by design. It's, it's a feature, not a bug. The MVP vote – and this is one thing I, I do not understand. You can argue it any way you want. You can be, I'm just, I think that personally it's the best player in baseball. Or you can argue, personally, it has to come from a playoff contender. Or you can argue that personally, I think it comes from a playoff contender unless there is a guy who so clearly was heads and shoulders above everyone else that it goes to right. him. The problem I have is, is when someone argues, this is how it has to be for everyone. Correct. MVP is not best war. Well, I'm, but, just not, I'm never going to buy that. But ever. MVP is not just that. MVP is what you, the person making the opinion, wants to make of it because they deliberately the, – Yeah, it's deliberately the, the vague. is somewhat vague on what it is. It's, it's not a, somewhat. It's deliberately it's specifically deliberately, vague. It does not say most outstanding player. It right. does not – and so no one out there, to me, can state with conviction that I have the right definition of a most valuable Correct. player. And you do not. And we talk about this with prospects, too. Uh, Jim Cowles doesn't make this point. And not necessarily a right or wrong answer of who the number four prospect is and who the number five prospect is. There's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. We don't agree in yeah. the office many a times. Right. We come to an agreement of, okay, move this guy up. No, I'm going to make a really strong case for keeping this guy where he is, that yeah. kind of thing. Those are not rights or wrongs, but you have to have a, an opinion that has some merit. And then you know, the more I'm just looking at it, 
maybe the gap between Batista and Ellsbury is bigger than I think. But for me, uh, I'd have to look at that one a little bit harder now that I'm just looking at just looking at the numbers again. I didn't realize how often Ellsbury was caught stealing. For example, he wasn't a huge factor on the bases as he is in my head. So I don't even watch a lot of Red Sox games. So I watch anything. I, I watch a lot of Orioles games. So I don't have a lot of insight on American League MVP watching those guys. We'll take a quick break. JJ's going to go chat Carolina League. We'll come back and wrap up the podcast on the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and JJ Cooper right after this. It's the Baseball America podcast. John Manuel going to, going to the bullpen while JJ Cooper chats Carolina League with Ben Badler now joining the podcast. And J.J. and I got off on some tangents, Ben. I think you and I are going to try to keep a little bit more focused on the teams that are in in the American League and kind of who just got left out with the Red Sox. I think there are five teams we're still discussing in the American League, but also a project that you're working on, just kind of looking at the rosters of these playoff teams. And one thing that J.J. and I had discussed was the contrast between the Yankees and Rays pitching staffs and Boston's pitching staffs and how homegrown the Yankees' bullpen is quite homegrown, but mostly David Robertson, obviously 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Mariano Rivera, but then Ivan Nova and his key role uh, in the Yankees' rotation. Obviously, the the Rays are very homegrown. Uh, Looks like they might give Matt Moore – well, Matt Moore will be on their playoff roster. Mm -hmm. Um, James Shields, Neiman – I guess Neiman might even start game one now, it sounds like. Um, Whereas Boston's homegrown pitchers, they really just didn't have – a homegrown, any homegrown reinforcements that could really help them in September in that seven and twenty swoon. Well, they just didn't have any reinforcements. Hitters, otherwise, they hitters have, too. Yeah. If you, I think, if you look up and down the roster, they have, a, they have more homegrown talent, arguably, than even the Rays. They have Ellsbury, right? Pedroia, Euclidus. Uh, they have Josh Reddick. Josh Reddick. How nice year. They have in the in their starting rotation. They have John Lester, Clay Buckholtz in the bullpen. They have Daniel Bard, right, and Jonathan Papelbon. Um, so obviously, one of their best five pitchers, right there. Yeah, and they all basically tanked down the stretch, but Correct. their entire roster did. But they have, if you look at the numbers, they have pretty much just as much. Uh, or got as much value from their homegrown talent this year as the Rays did. The problem is the Red Sox, their lack of depth was just because they have blown an incredible <laughs> amount of money on just utter deadweight free agents. We always I mean, talk about the big money teams having margin for error with their misses in free agency. The The Red Sox appear to have missed so often, Ben, that they exhausted that massive margin for error. It's It's really unbelievable how much money they've wasted in free agency. I, I, I don't think uh, – I didn't like the Carl Crawford deal. No way did I think or anyone think right. he was going to be this bad offensively, defensively, just in like, every way imaginable. You just don't like seven years, $142 million for just about anybody. You, you have to, that To me, that's like a very small pool of elite, elite players who get those length of contracts and nine-figure deals. So, But like you said – I would. I think uh, I've seen a lot of things written today where um, might have been Joel Sherman, might have been uh, John Heyman, who are like, you know, this guy really should have gone to Anaheim. You know, it's almost like he. I, I guess it was Bill Simmons who wrote, you know, he was going to go to Anaheim and just probably got blown away by the Boston dollars. He has a lot of explaining to do next year. Just to, to there's a lot for him to live down. Yeah, I mean, I think it's <laughs> it's it's maybe it's easy to think, oh, maybe if he was in Anaheim, he would be better, but. Uh... 
He's not. <laughs> he's not in Anaheim. It doesn't matter where he is. Right now, he's in Boston. He is basically. Uh, <laughs> He's no better than he seems considerably worse at least this year yeah. than Desmond Jennings going oh, yeah. forward. I would certainly rather have Jennings, but the amount of money that the Red Sox have wasted on guys like Crawford, Lackey, you know, if you want to count Daisuke Matsuzaka, who they're still going to have to pay, I want to count him ten million dollars, <laughs> you know, next year to sit on the you know the bench and right. recover from his his surgery. I mean, they're they're shortstop. You know, uh, merry-go-round, the Renterias and the Julio Lugos. That's a lot of... Marco Scudero is their best free agent signing. It, it really mean, seems Bobby that way. Jenks, they've just wasted so, again, so much money. And then you compare it to... It's not like the Yankees are rich with home... I mean, they have guys on the farm with Batances and Banuelos. Right. And, you know, Brackman kind of had a rough year, but it's not like they use these guys in their rotation. I mean, Ivan Nova was... You know, great for them. He was great, better than Hector Noesi was. You know, good in the bullpen. David Robertson is one of the best setup men in baseball. But He's tremendous. Their, their rotation was CC Sabathia. It's all, it's all who yeah. They got in free agency. Correct. Freddie Garcia, free great agency. free agent signing. Yeah. Bartolo, Bartolo Colon, better. great free agent yeah. signing. AJ Burnett, bad free agent signing. AJ Burnett, bad. You know, Rafael Soriano. Why you're going to pay a guy thirty-six <laughs> million dollars for 180 innings is beyond me, but. It sounded like that was from uh, above Cashman anyway. But, right, right. But, uh, but their depth, the Yankees' depth, yeah. does seem like a lot of it is home. They, they they have been, I think, better. Well, first, their pro scouting department had a better year than Boston's. <laughs> their free agent signings blow them out of the water. Garcia and Colon, just just for this year, the small microcosm, That's a, that, those are better. Boston would have killed for Freddie Garcia or Bartolo Colon down the stretch of the season. Uh, so much so they were trying to trade for their own versions, of course, left-handed, like Bruce Chen and Chris Capuano down the stretch of the year. But the Yankees do have reinforcements. You know, when they need a little energy in September, it's a little they were headed for the playoffs. But they got a little extra kick from Jesus Montero. I know that physically, in terms of his size and in terms of his minor league numbers, Ryan LaVarnway looks comparable, and he had a nice game 161. But in game 162, Buck Walter walks Adrian Gonzalez three times to get to LaVarnway, and LaVarnway doesn't come through because he's not Jesus Montero. He, I think he's a nice prospect. Mm-hmm. He's not Jesus Montero. The Yankees, I think, got a lot of mileage out of Eduardo Nunez this year. You know, That's a middle-of-the-diamond, hair-on-fire defensive player, but there's something there. And I think, I, I think the Yankees got a little bit more than maybe even we expected they'd get, especially with Nova. I mean, I, that's a a lesson learned for me on this podcast. People listen to me talk about fastball command and blah, 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 that all the time. Well, Ivan Nova doesn't have Hector Nwesi's fastball command, but it doesn't matter. He's got much bigger stuff, and uh, they've done a nice job cultivating Ivan Nova. This is, don't forget, this is a guy they almost lost in the Rule 5 draft a couple of years ago to the Padres. Didn't stick in San Diego, comes back to uh, comes back to New York. Well, that's one of the other differences, too, between the two teams is you know, their program. international program. I mean, the Red Sox don't have... Anybody, I mean, Jose Iglesias fielded a few ground balls this year. That's right. But other than that, the first I mean, Hanley, Hanley yeah. Ramirez was a, a great signing by the previous regime. Correct. They got him Josh Beckett. But since then, you know, you look at what they've done compared to um, the Yankees, who have Robinson Cano and now Nova, Jesus Montero, who yeah. almost signed with the Red Sox right. uh, when he was an amateur. Uh, you know, he's coming up. Manny Benuelos is, is going to be there Great point. very soon. You know, Gary Sanchez and exactly. you know, lower down in the levels. You know, the yep. Red Sox have some, you know, guy like Xander Bogarts lower in the system. But um, right now for guys who can help the big league club, 
Uh, you know, the Yankees have certainly taken advantage of their resources in Latin America. And the guys who you, the Red Sox thought could help them this year were guys like, especially a Felix Dubron, international signing, really didn't make any kind of impact injuries, mm-hmm. uh, injury-riddled season. And I'm thinking of a guy like Stolmy Pimentel, who was one of their better pitching prospects coming into the year and had just a disastrous season. I think that's a point well made on the Baseball America podcast. I'm John. He's Ben Badler. Uh, ben, let's look at Tampa real quick, because Tampa's not an organization I think of with a burgeoning Latin impact at the big league level. They have some in their minor league system, but they've they've just accumulated talent so intelligently. I mean, like you said, Desmond Jennings. You know, we saw Desmond Jennings last year in Durham, and that wrist injury clearly affected him because he just oh, did yeah. not impact the baseball. And he had a terrible September. I think he hit 170. He was hitting 170 coming into yesterday. But he still made a significant impact there. Like you said, his year was field, better than – On the field, on the base pass. Yeah, he, he was better than Carl Crawford this year and this <laughs> made more impact in like 60 games. And who would you rather have going forward, irrespective of the contract? Mm-hmm. It's Jennings, and then you factor in the contract, and it's not even close. Um, but like you said, like, I mean, a Ben Zobrist, who they find in an in a Aubrey Huff trade. Uh, Casey Kochman, you know, who has a tremendous season for them. A better year really than – Anything that Carlos Pena would have done for them, except for his, you know, stayed for his one big year in 2008. Um, I, I find it amazing that Tampa, not only they won 90 games after losing all those other players, but to me it's more they won 90 games with a black hole at catcher, a black hole offensively at shortstop, mm-hmm. um, and really lacking profile power in left field, even when they had Jennings and left. Profile power in right, it was average, I guess, with Matt Joyce. He's a good player. But he's certainly not the classic profile guy, and then have classic profile power at first base. How do they do this? How do they get away with that? Well, the pitching is just—it's it. unbelievable. I mean, the offense is—I think it's a lot better now that you're putting in Desmond Jennings instead of right. Sam Fold, and um, you know, Evan Longoria is healthy now. He was uh, obviously missed some time earlier in the season, but 17 home runs the last two months for unbelievable, Longoria. Unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. hitter. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> You know they have got they've made some good trades getting guys like Zobris, Sean Rodriguez, Matt Joyce. Those yep. are good trades, um, and and obviously you mentioned Koshman, but you know the core of it is just how well they've drafted in not just the first round but in the later rounds too. I mean, yep. you have an entirely homegrown pitching staff of six guys, <laughs> all all of whom would have been the Red Sox as of right now number two or <laughs> number. Maybe three starters. That's yep. one point JJ and I made. Like Alex Torres is probably like the eighth. We're not even counting Alex Cobb because he's hurt. But you got Shields, Price, Neiman, yeah. Davis, Hellickson, in some order. Then yeah. you throw in Matt Moore. Then you throw in Alex Torres. Which yeah, a trade guy. But right, and then you probably throw in right trade. Yeah, that's right. It was an angel. Then you probably throw in Chris Archer. I mean, raw as he is, needs to command his fastball better. All this. Probably still would have been the Red Sox number three starter down the stretch. Uh, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but I mean, stuff wise, well, stuff wise, right Chris Archer is, <laughs> is. Yeah, I mean, he's got a plus fastball and a plus plus slider that he throws way too much. Right, right. <laughs> and tries to trick everybody. So I mean, once he pitches off his fastball a little more, I think we'll but see some better results for him. But that's incredible depth. Yeah. Um, and they make the playoffs despite the fact that they probably wait too long to bring up Desmond Jennings. You can argue they waited too long to bring up Matt Moore, although I don't know who you would have bumped out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I guess that a part of this is uh, David Price is the only real concern I would imagine going forward. For a guy who started his career 
with his triumphant postseason performance, he wasn't he, he wasn't horrible in the playoffs last year, but he was outpitched twice in the division series by Cliff Lee. And then yesterday lays a pretty giant egg in game 162. Yeah, it's weird because his stuff, he's still throwing 96, 97. It seems like ever since he got hit off the chest yeah. with that ball, with that line drive, even in that game, he started immediately after that, he started, you know, couldn't really finish it. I don't know if he's finishing it. I don't remember exactly what it was about his delivery, but it was a little out of sync. He was missing everything up. And then yesterday he was just, you know, hanging curveballs, throwing fastballs down the middle to, to share. Yeah. Although the other one was just, you know, a great piece of hitting by, right. you know, a, a great hitter. But um, I, th- I think as long as if, if his command is there, I, th- I think he'll be okay. But just the amount and the volume and the, the quality of draft picks that they have on that team is is, is unbelievable. It really is. And then, so now they're set up with the Rangers on a rematch for last year. And the Yankees in Detroit – uh, and the other AL playoff series, who obviously kind of linked by this trade they made, uh, I guess, two years ago. All three parties are probably fairly happy with what they got of that deal, although I still think the Tigers came out at the short end, the shortest end of that deal with Arizona and, and the Yankees. Uh, but New York has got an amazing season out of Curtis Granderson. Uh, granted, he's slowed down as his season has gone on. Uh, who, who, do you, who do you like in that series, Ben? Uh, who, who's, your, who's your pick in a – Detroit, New York series. I still think the the Yankees are, are probably the best team. Um, the problem is you you got to be uh, your best pitcher Sabathia has got to go against Verlander. Right. I mean that's an amazing matchup uh, right there. But I, I think the Yankees lineup is just <laughs> that, that's a great <laughs> lineup that they have. It it's, is. It's amazing yeah. how just it, you, Grand, you, you can have Granderson get cold and move him into the five or six hole. And you've basically still got Teixeira, a middle of the lineup of Teixeira, A-Rod, you know, who I wonder how much they're really going to get out of Alex Rodriguez this mm-hmm. time of the year, Robbie Cano. And I really do think the X factor for the Yankees is, is uh, Montero because yeah. DH has been a rotating position for them. And, you know, Posada was tried to be there as the, as the regular, and it just didn't work. I think it would actually make more sense for them going forward for A-Rod to be in that position considering they're – how much, speaking of bad contracts, how long does A-Rod have left? Six Ooh. years? <laughs> so I think it's six more years of this. They're going fi- to have to figure out what they're going to do with DH pretty soon. Yeah, because A-Rod needs to play DH. But um, I-, I think I'm with you. The Yankees lineup is just so deep. But Detroit's dangerous. Uh, they've been a different team since they had Doug Fister. I know earlier in the year I thought the American League Central champion would win between 80 and 85 games, and they obliterated that. They were a much better team in the second half. Miguel Cabrera... As good as all the Yankees have been, they, I think the I think the uh, Tigers have the best hitter and the best pitcher in this series. Hmm. But ultimately, I think that their bullpen. I think somewhere in this series, after a perfect regular season, quote unquote, Valverde is going to blow one. What's his nickname? I forget. He has some goofy ass nickname, but that guy's going to blow one. The Yankees are going to get to Valverde, I think, and and win that series. I do see though the the Rays and the Rangers. That's a pretty compelling matchup. Uh, I'm not sure that you can say the Rays could be a favorite because the Rangers have been so good this year and their infield for a team that's that weak at first base. I guess maybe they'll play Michael Young at first base some, but with a healthy Adrian Beltre, the year that Ian Kinsler's had, Elvis Andrews actually hitting for some pop compared to he's not slugging under 300 anymore. Put it that way. Right. Um, and then a healthier Nelson Cruz and the X factor of Mike Napoli in the year he's had. There's not an easy out in that lineup. 
I don't know. I don't know. That's a great matchup of pitching versus hitting. No, it's it. It is a great lineup, and you know they've done a great job, I think, with trades, especially on that team. I mean, Napoli, <laughs> Andrus, Napoli, Andrus, uh, Feliz, Harrison, yeah, um, Hamilton, Cruz. I mean, all these guys came right <laughs> in trades. Even it's, David Murphy. David Murphy for Eric Gagne, if memory serves. Yeah, I mean, they have. Uh, both of these teams have probably had, if you had to pick two of the best farm systems over the last few years, it would be yep. the Rays and the Rangers. But the reality is that the, the Rays have done it mostly through the draft, and yeah. the Rangers have done it, have built their at least their major league team right now primarily through trades. If you look at the draft, You're right. they don't really have, you know, they have uh, uh, Wilson and they have uh, Derek Holland. Draft and follow. Yeah. Not a not a high draft pick. They did give him six figures. It was like two and what two hundred twenty five thousand dollars something like that. Yeah, but other I mean other than those guys, you know, they they drafted Smoke and they they traded right. him. Right. Um, that but summer really... of two thousand seven, Ben was really when their their franchise turned around. The summer of 07, where they traded Teixeira, made mm. the watershed trade of Teixeira to the Braves. By the time we wrote that it was concurrent. With their big 2007 draft class, which included Michael Mayne and Julio Borbon <laughs> and right. Neil Ramirez. And they drafted a bunch of guys, a lot of whom were, they had a lot of extra picks. Some were considered tough signs, and they signed them all. So at the time, we conflated the two. They've made this commitment. We said they, they've picked their direction. They're rebuilding. They're not going to try to win with these expensive players of the big leagues. They're going to try to rebuild through the draft and scouting and player development. And it was true but they never quite hit on those draft guys. Like you said, they really have used those guys in trade, and they traded astutely, with, and, and no, nowhere more astutely, I think, than Edison Volquez for Josh Hamilton and then, you know, Francisco, Frank Francisco. This is the guy who threw a chair at the fans, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. For Mike Napoli. I mean, <laughs> come on. Mike, with the year Mike Napoli's had, pretty pretty ridiculous. Who, who do you like in that series? I think I'm, picks an, I'm, I think I'm picking a rematch of last year's ALCS of Texas versus New York. I think I like the Rays. I think that, <laughs> you know, if the Rays, if you, if they had, you know, they didn't have as good of a record as um, as the Rangers did, but, you know, I think if you, you add... You add the, well, yeah, certainly degree of difficulty, but you add Desmond Jennings. Right. You have a healthy Evan Longoria. You have Matt Moore. Oh, yeah. They've, they've upgraded. They're, they're a much better team, I think, uh, than they were at the beginning or maybe in the middle of the season. Hi, that's fair. That's fair to, to say. Compared to what the what the Rangers were, I think that. <laughs> and, and you just look at the pitching staff, which I think is extremely important in yeah. the, the postseason. Um, and I think that you, when you have Price Shields, you know, I might even say Matt Moore is the number three starter right, <laughs> right. now. So I, he he might. He, I think he has the best stuff on that staff. I know that in this podcast nook, JJ and I have been saying that also. The first look we actually got at Matt Moore when he got the door and we were like, and you know, Futures game two, we're like, you know, this guy has better stuff than like all but five pitchers in the entire big leagues. Yeah. I mean, you did the Southern League top ten, top 20. I mean, it made, you, your write-up made it sound like people just could not believe. I mean, what was Turner Ward, who managed the team that won the league, said that guy was too good for this league. Yeah, he was clearly <laughs> too good for the league. Yeah, he it just was, kind of dismissed it. He's yeah. like, ah, don't even ask me about that guy. You know he's number one, you know. And it was – so I don't I don't know if he's going to, to start or uh, in a playoff game or not, but he's obviously a, a valuable weapon to have. You know, now they have, like we said, Jennings, big upgrade over 
uh, Sam Fold. The big key for me with Jennings also, you look at the Rangers, what the Rangers' biggest strength is, is uh, on, as far as pitching goes, is those two power left-handers. When he's on, Derek Collins dirty. And C.J. Wilson has such life on the fastball and gets so consistent weak contact. I know he's prone to walks and that kind of thing, but guys just don't square him up. And uh, you're going to have to have your right-handers. I don't have confidence in B.J. Upton squaring up big-time velocity, whether it's Wilson, but especially Derek Collin or Matt Harrison. So there's three power lefties for Texas. So you're going to have to have Desmond Jennings, I think, come up big. And like you said, Longoria, some right-handed bat other than Evan Longoria. And when in, the, in the past, that's really been just B.J. Upton. But now you throw De- Jennings into the mix, I'm suddenly feeling a little bit better about uh, Tampa's chances. I still like Texas, though, with those three power left-handers plus the deeper bullpen with their acquisitions of Adams and Koji Uhara at midseason. Yeah, I, and they I, have more trades that have just helped that right. that roster this I, year. And, I mean, using guys like Tommy Hunter and Chris Davis as just spare parts to mm-hmm. get a guy like Uhara for a very specific role. Um, I think John Daniels did a great job with those trades that they've made this year. But uh, So you're picking Yankees-Rays. That would be a heck of a LCS. You think you think Tampa has enough to make, complete a run to the for the pennant? I uh, I think they do. I think I don't think there's one team that's really a clear right cut I favorite. I think in the National League, the Phillies are. Um, I'm just <laughs> that team is unbelievable this year. But I agree. In the American League, I don't see one team as a, a clear cut, uh, you know, e- easy kind of a pick to uh, to win the American League this year. I completely agree with you on that. Uh, well, I'm going to come back. I want JJ, as a native Georgia, a native of Georgia, to discuss the Braves' collapse. But uh, so I'll, 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 we'll wrap this part of the podcast here. But I'm picking the Yankees. I can't believe I'm doing that. I do think it can get overblown to give them credit, considering their uh, payroll and that kind of stuff. At the same time, I do think that Joe Girardi's done a nice job of. They have a lot of older dudes. And with the exception of A-Rod, they've kept almost all those guys healthy all year. They got more than they ever deserved to get out of Russell Martin. They got more than they deserved to get – or they, than anyone thought they'd get out of Derek Jeter. A lot more out of Freddie Garcia and Bartolo Colon. And when it's all said and done, I do like Sabathia quite a bit as a guy. And, and they also still have Rivera. So with all those pieces, I, I don't think they're – I don't – like you said, the, the difference between the American League teams is all very – those teams are all pretty similar. I think New York's – Lineup is so deep. I think they get a little extra injection uh, uh, from the energy of a, a guy like Anova, who's come up so big for them in the second half. And uh, push comes to shove, I do like their veterans uh, in the postseason. So I'm picking New York to win the American. You're uh, you're not worried about their little skid at the end of the season, there, John? Uh, the, 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 I'm, uh, as long as I don't have uh, Dylan Batansis and uh, those guys and back. Greg in there. Golson and yeah. Brandon Laird and. <laughs> Yeah, Ramiro Pena did play last night. He played a lot. Yeah. If George Contos is in the lineup, is in the, is in the makes the playoff uh, staff. He should be pitching yeah. for Greece in the World Cup, not in the world, not in a future World Series. Let's hope that he's not on the New York playoff roster. But uh, we'll take a quick break on the podcast. We'll come back with JJ Cooper to give us the mindset of uh, Georgia and Braves fans and their collapse. Uh, back with uh, on the Baseball America podcast. Back on the Baseball America podcast, rejoined by JJ Cooper as we wrap it up. JJ. Um, we've talked a lot of American League with Ben. Let's let's go to the National League where I'm not a big Tony La Russa guy, but I saw Harold Reynolds last night. And you know Harold's encyclopedic mind. I love Harold. I love his enthusiasm. I love his passion for the game. Not noted for – he's not Pete Palmer or, or Bill James in terms of being a baseball historian. 
But he said this might be Tony LaRusso's best managing job ever. I think it's probably helped along by the fact that Albert Pujols got healthy, got motivated, and was ridiculous in the second half. Doesn't hurt. Uh, doesn't hurt. But the Cardinals, I think a lot of people thought there's no way they're making the postseason when Adam Wainwright got hurt. Um, they had an incredibly strong finish, and they now join Arizona, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia in the postseason. And meanwhile, the Braves, who I know were my preseason pick to win the National League pennant, might have been my preseason pick to win the whole matzo ball, win the whole World Series. They are not even in the postseason. Let's analyze those two teams a little bit, especially the Braves. Because I think the Braves a month ago were trending as our likely uh, organization of the year. And there's yeah, no way we're getting gonna, that uh, we, can, we, we, we don't want to spoil things for you. That, that issue is not, not going to It won't be the Braves. I mean, really, it seems like the number one thing the Braves are going to have to address is what happened to, to, as Tom Verducci put it, the ghost of Jason Hayward. And that's really... It's funny, like, you, you can talk with them and you can also talk with the Red Sox about injuries. But in the Braves' case, I, I don't think that you can point to the injuries. I know that they lost some really good pitchers, and they did. But Jar Jurgens being there, he's not going to pitch better than Randall Delgado did down the stretch. Right. I think they missed Jurgens and Hanson, but those guys don't hit. You know. Right, and I was going to say, and yes, and Hanson would have been better than Mike Miner, but Mike Miner was fine. If Mike Miner was not Derek Lowe, if you want to say, I mean, that this is the bad news for the Braves going forward. You not only you have another year Derek Lowe at fifteen mil. Yeah, and that's not going to be. Uh, You're I not trading of, that guy. I can think of one player. Unless uh, maybe one? you call the Angels and say, "Hey, you got a Mike <laughs> Napoli around that we can take from you." I was about to say, they could probably spin Derek Lowe for Vernon Wells. <laughs> they could probably make that trade happen. But, you know, injury-wise, you know, the Braves got 512 plate appearances out of Chipper Jones at a 123 ops plus. I mean, the, the, that's that's not bad of a 39-year-old third baseman. Injury-wise, offensively, Offensively, it wasn't, that they were, it wasn't injuries. It was guys not producing like they expected. Jason Hayward, if Jason Hayward just gives you the Jason Hayward you got last year, this is a vastly superior offense. And ben, ben and I were talking about, in the American League, on the Rangers and their track record for trades. The Braves are almost the inverse of that because they have the Teixeira trade on the other side of it. And how much different would the Braves look if they just had kept one of those guys of Elvis Andrews or Nathaniel Feliz or Matt Harrison. If just one of those guys were still a Brave, how much better would that deal look for them? Oh, and, and especially Andrus. When you when you consider they had Yunel Escobar, they felt they could trade Elvis Andrus. But then they've spun that situation of having good young big league shortstop and, and uh, Escobar and exciting A-ball prospect prospects. shortstop at Andrus. And now they've gone to... Alex Gonzalez. The words and exciting then, and Alex Gonzalez cannot be in the same sentence. No, and then uh, he's excitable. <laughs> he's not exciting. And then Jack Wilson, a good, dependable veteran who makes a critical error critical. last night. It should have been a double play, boots the ball. Um, it just but, th- That's but brutal really, for them. And then, I, and then I, Nate I, McLeod has another trade that just – a horrendous trade that hasn't worked out. I, I, I th- think that really you, you, you – you come back to the fact that where it starts with, and we knew going into the season that their outfield was probably not going to be very good. Right. But I think you could argue on Bourne, they did bring in Bourne at the end of the season, and that helped. But but the reality of it is is that 
you didn't get out of Martin Prado what you expected to get out of Martin Prado. Yeah, he had a bad year, a pretty bad year for a guy who I thought was really a up and coming, like going to be a star soon. You, and as soon as he started to get a little expensive, his bad didn't exactly come alive in left field. You know, and then you you have a very disappointing year from Jason Hayward. You just had too many guys who were outs in that lineup. And Dan Ugla, you know, for all the teeth gnashing and all the start of the season, Dan Ugla ended up being Dan Ugla before it was all said and done. Yeah, he wasn't Dan Ugla at his best, but he was pretty comparable to Dan Ugla. You can't complain about the season that Dan Ugla had when it's all said and done. I think really, to me, I think you hit it on the head there, outfield. They needed more out of Prado and Hayward. And now I'll say this. Terry Francona's case, Freddie Gonzalez's case, if you are the manager of a team that has a nine-game lead and blows it, you understandably get some heat. I will say, and I don't think, not that I don't think that in both cases that they're not somewhat culpable because, again, they're the manager. here, the captain of the ship. Right. That being said, I don't know, especially in the Red Sox case, I don't know really, you know, when you don't have a pitcher to throw out there, you don't have a pitcher to throw out there. In the Braves case, again, I don't know, okay, the best argument I guess you could make is is that in hindsight – if you want a second guess, it would be really, you know, hey, you know what, Craig, Johnny, you, you've yeah. thrown three or four days in a row. We're going to give you tonight off. That might have been something to do a little more often. I actually think that I think Freddie Gonzalez was more culpable than T- yeah, Terry, I agree. Than Tito I agree. And then Terry Francona, because of the way he uses bullpen, and even just in game one sixty two, Tim Hudson's not a spring chicken. He's I, I'm, there's a better cliche I could have used, but he's 35 years old. You know, he should have gotten out of that inning with a double play on the Jack uh, Wilson error. He was still Tim Hudson. I would trust that with my bullpen being gassed. And I would they put, were gassed. I would keep that, that ball in Tim Hudson's hand as long as I possibly could. And, uh, and he didn't. And he did that all year. Six inning start after six inning start after six inning start. And the problem with that is, is that is the problem with that. And the funny thing is, is six inning start with guys who, again, they had a good pitching staff before the injuries. They had a right. very good pitching staff. Right. And six inning start, six inning start. What that meant is, is okay, Venters, okay, Kimbrel, you're going again tonight. And Correct. if you look at the National League leaders in appearances, there's a whole lot of ATLs in that list. Yeah, 85 appearances for Venters, 79 for Kimbrel, and 78 for O'Flaherty. And Kimbrel last night, I think that Tom Verducci wrote it very well. You're watching, like you're watching the Red Sox. There was no way anybody, even Red Sox fans, felt any pity for the Red Sox. You felt some pity for Craig Kimbrel and the Braves last night. I think even Chipper Jones, who seems to really get under people's skin, he, for me, he's become I, more endearing. I was going to say, I, I I don't see that. I, I just to I me, he's one of the, you know. He's the old pro. He's yeah. He's one of the vets of the game who's earned this status because he's been one of the best players in the game for now coming up on two decades. Yeah, I love Chipper. What about the rest of the NL? What do you think about the Diamondbacks and the Cardinals? St. Louis is much more dangerous than Arizona is, and I don't like the matchup of Arizona with Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee's a more complete team. If anything undo- is the undoing for Milwaukee to me, it's going to be for me. I would I seed it Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Then I'd say Milwaukee, St. Louis. What, what was the surprising part about St. Louis's comeback for you? It really seems like the 
the theme that people are starting to latch onto is that, boy, that really was a heck of a trade that they made for uh, with Colby Rasmus. That that saved redoing their bullpen really did work. And that's one of those. It may end up working on one of those trades that hey, you you trade and you lose long term to win short term, and you you. And really, I think that you know they made the playoffs, so that's part one. Right. Now part two is, can you do something in the playoffs? I think when you're trying to make sure, I guess the long-term part of that might be, hey, Albert Pujols, we're doing everything we can to but, win with you right here. But I'll right say here. this, though. Do you, do you think that Pujols doesn't think that the Cardinals are going I – don't, I don't see that being if, – if the Cardinals keep Pujols, it's going to be – I like how Lance Berkman put it. Lance Berkman, they asked him about it, he said, look, let's just be honest, guys. It's the money. <laughs> Which was they great. Gotta love Puma. Yeah, he just summed it up. He didn't say he didn't make it. It's going to be about how I feel in the clubhouse. It's just like, are they going to give me the years? Are they going to give me the dollars? Right. With Pujols, are they going to go to the years he wants? Are they going to come close on the dollars? It's you, not going to be. You think any chance Pujols goes down with the uh, Aussie Guillen to uh, to Miami like uh, Doc Gooden tweeted? No, I don't think so either. I I, I mean you, now that's a different situation. The Cardinals are the Cardinals. You can expect that they're generally going to be competitive. Right. You don't have – if you sign a long-term deal in Florida, yeah, yeah. you are – I'll just put it this way. You are signing up and saying, I trust that this ownership group is yeah. going to try to compete on a yearly basis. And there is – There's no There evidence. is not one piece of evidence – that says not that they can't be good, not that you may not win a ring at some right. point, but you win the ring and then you you have to look around and go, okay, where, where did all my teammates That's go? That's right. You know what's interesting? Also, we're looking at St. Louis. Two things jump out at me about St. Louis. Number one, they actually have some fairly significant homegrown contributions here. John Jay, now their everyday center fielder. Jamie uh, Jamie Garcia, Jaime Garcia is basically their number two starter, and right now their closer is basically Jason Mott. Um, Kind of a homegrown. That that being bullpen. said, but it's, when we talk about than, trades, it's but, more than I expected. But when we that. talk about trades, the thing the Cardinals have done an exceptional job of, yeah, is they're the team that turns other teams' castaway pitchers into aces. They do, they do, and that's obviously Dave Duncan. I also think you have to credit their talent talent evaluation on the pro level. They made a big mistake with Ryan Terrio in the offseason. But unlike Boston, like you said, where the Red Sox obviously felt that September, we're good. In October, in August at the end of the trade deadline, they were like, yeah, we're good. We don't need Rich Harden. No, never mind. We're good. We're going to get by with Eric Bedard here. Um, the the Cardinals did not feel that way. They were aggressive with that trade, uh, with the Rasmus trade, and aggressive in going after Rafael Furcal. Plugged a huge hole and for them. And basically, not that they, they needed Furcal to be whole a star. They just needed Furcal to be... Hey, be better than their, you know, the Ontario. Right. The other guy, the other homegrown guy, I meant to mention, Alan Craig, a very nice 200 yeah. at bats this year, very nice role player, a very offensive player, more of an American League player because he's really more of a DH. But uh, they they got they got some homegrown some homegrown uh, contributions this year, uh, specifically really Jay Craig Garcia and, you got and then Salas and, also and, well, in the, got, the bullpen and Molina. Oh yeah, well that's a long time ago. I mean, I mean Molina and Pujols. I mean, sure. obviously Sco- Shoemaker, Pujols, Molina from but, long but saying, ago. But but Molina, but Molina's case, I don't think we taught. You know, like he doesn't. He's one of the better. 
He's one of the better catchers in the major leagues. Catchers in the major leagues. You don't. No one talks about him a whole lot because a lot of those contributions come more behind the plate than than at the plate. But this 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 was his best offensive season by a lot. Hit 300 for the second time. uh, Career high in home runs. Career high power numbers. He's 28 years old. He had his peak year at age 28. Go figure. Uh, But the guy's been a regular now for seven years, basically, and. uh, Part of a World Series championship in 2006. He was part of the you know their 04 team that had the best record in baseball. And pretty good, pretty and good he career. He deserves at least some credit. I mean, it's not a lot, but he deserves some of the credit for how good the pitching staff is. Absolutely. Philadelphia he, prohibitive favorite though for you, JJ. Oh yeah, oh yeah. How about not just the National League? How about both leagues? I, I picked the Yankees to win the American League. Ben picked the Rays. I'd, I'd say the Rays also. I'd say the Rays. I'm actually going to say I'd say Rays, and my next team would be the Rangers. Uh, he, I just don't think I, – I know the Yankees, how good they were during the regular season. I could be completely wrong. I do not – when you talk about we're – no, we're not talking about a couple of games. We're saying over the next month, basically, there's going to be a whole lot of games where you're depending on a rookie pitcher who's been really good. Yeah. But beyond that, you're talk, you're depending on either Bartolo Colon, A.J. Burnett, or Freddy Garcia – I take Cologne over AJ Burnett easy. I but, think I take Freddie Garcia too. In that, right, in that and case. I think I would too. But I, I don't. I mean, that's that's a Those lot. Those guys of games. are right there for me with Jeff Neiman or Wade Davis. They're not as talented they maybe, but. For a game in October, I take my chances with those guys just as much as I would with, and I, you know, I love Jeff Neiman, um, or frankly, David Price after what he showed me yesterday. Yeah, still. Game one sixty two was. I mean, I take my chances with David Price. Don't get me wrong. I know he's better than those guys. That was a pretty uninspiring uh, Game 162 effort. And Ben Badler pointed out he thinks that Price just hasn't been the same guy since he got drilled in the chest by that line drive. And I think he makes a pretty decent point. Uh, not a great finish for David Price no, this I'll, season. I'll, I'll, before we wrap up, I'd, I'll just throw out the question with that, though, also. So how much of a role do you think Matt Moore is going to play in these playoffs? You know, uh, on on Twitter today, they made it sound like Jeff Neiman was – Oh, I'm not Possibly your think, game one starter. I don't think there's any plans for Jeff for Matt Moore to be I, in the rotation. I don't think I do there think, necessarily is either. I do think he's their moment of truth guy out of the bullpen, and I love having that guy in that moment of truth role. What I, I to me, what he serves as, which is a, a pretty nice role, and maybe maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's the moment of truth guy who basically they're going to use in the seventh or eighth, and the key. Right. He gives you that flexibility of basically almost being the, a second closer or the true closer. Like, uh, hey, yeah, Farnsworth to pitch the ninth. You're going to pitch the most important part right. of the game. That could be that could be him. The the key then that if that's the role for him, I think the other key guy is Alex Torres because Alex Torres then is in the break glass in case of emergency role. Like say Neiman goes out, sure, and you know what the back does flare up or something, or right. he's really struggling. Alex Torres is the guy who can go out there and you're not proving sh- it. Yeah, he might give you five good innings. That's right. That's right. I, and there's not a whole lot of teams. I don't know if there's another team. The only other team I could say that can do that, that has a guy like that, and obviously this isn't like the the X factor that matters the most. But, right. But this jumps out as like they have that and the Phillies have that. The Phillies have that. I was say Kyle Kendrick actually is kind of exactly that. Oh, he's experienced and but, he has a World Series ring. But you're not we, you're not even talking about Vance, Vance Worley. Worley. Uh, or, absolutely. You know, no, absolutely. It, it, I mean, Worley or Oswalt is going to be not in the rotation unless they go to a five-man rotation. Right. Well, Oswalt will be their fourth, and Worley's back in that role. But Kendrick's been good this year. I mean, don't don't. No, don't I'm not saying he's not, Kendrick. but I'm saying, like, but they, like he's the next guy in that list. Like, they've Yeah, got no, a, well, that, that's the same thing. That Torres yeah. is, like, you know, if Moore is six, so I would say Torres that is seven, Worley's yeah. right there. Then, yeah, and, and Torres yeah. is right there. So, yeah, th- that's the only other team that has that kind of depth. And uh, guys like Bastardo – Stutes, 
I, I don't know what they're going to do with uh, – is Brad Lidge making their postseason roster uh-huh. in Philadelphia? I don't know. But, by the way, with the Rays, the thing that I don't think gets talked about enough, that when you mentioned about Neiman pitching game one, one other thing with that that does make sense – Jeff Neiman either starts for you or, or he doesn't have a red roll. Or he's not on the roster. Because yeah. he can't. Jeff Neiman it is, takes a while for him to get fired it's up. It's not something where you say, okay, uh, Jeff, okay, you've got ten pitches, and now let's get ready to go out there. No, it doesn't work that way. So, Does the Phillies offense give you any pause? It's a 95 ops plus for the year. Do you have any concerns about the Phillies? Oh, you have some concerns, but like we talk about the race, you don't have to score a whole lot of runs when you've got Halliday, when you've got Cliff Lee. I mean, that. this is – I'll put it this way. I can't think of a pitching staff in years that I would rather have in the playoffs than the one they have. I agree there. I think uh, the fact that Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley are basically healthy, I think their X factor is also John Mayberry Jr., um, a guy who's really struggled that's, throughout his career. That's an interesting question, though. So can you think of a, a, a pitching staff, a postseason pitching staff? I mean, I know they didn't get it done in the postseason, but the Braves pitching staff, 97, I think, is the year that uh, – Bill James has pointed out, was the best pitching staff of the modern baseball era until now. But, I mean, I'd still rather have Halliday, Lee, and Hamels. The argument against the Braves. Glavin. The thing is, none of these guys are necessarily mid-'90s power arms either that the Phillies have. They have command like Glavin and Maddox, and they throw harder. But they don't have a Smoltz. They don't have a John Smoltz. They just don't. No, John Smoltz better big game pitcher than any of these guys. Right. He didn't that, throw a perfect game like uh, or no hitter like uh, like Halliday did. Was it a perfect game? Or no, no, no the perfect game was during the regular season. No hitter was during the Okay, the I got confused. But, I mean, he and, and Smoltz's career, not as good as Roy Halliday's career, not necessarily. But peak, like at their best, John Smoltz might have been better. Right. That being said. And then Denny Nagel was there for better. At, at that point, he was better than Roy Oswald at this point of his that, career. But that being said. And but Halliday and Lee better than Maddox and, and Glavin, Glavin in the playoffs. Because and the knock against it is is that because like, Halliday, you can say Halliday is somewhat of a power pitcher. I he mean, is a power pitcher, no doubt. He's become much more of a power pitcher really in Philadelphia as he's gone to the the, the junior circuit, right. the National League. But but the thing about it is is that that was always the knock. I, I think a somewhat legitimate knock. Maddox and Glavin correct didn't no, have a whole right. lot of. Smoltz had like if you talk about the great postseason yeah. small starts. You talk about even the great postseason Avery starts early in that. That was the factor to me, is that Steve Avery should have been the guy who, I think if Steve Avery stays healthy after the strike, the Braves would have won more than just one championship. Glavin and Maddox were the guys. It's a little tougher. They weren't nibblers, but it is tougher when you don't have that. That, that said, Tom Glavin won the biggest game yeah, he ever did. had to win. He did. And he, yeah, and that was not a, exactly a a puff. No, that uh, was a lineup. That Indians was, lineup. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how many. In the, that was in the grand days of you know. Oh wait, look at all these big guys and they. God, that guy's the... huge. God, that guy is huge. God, oh, that guy is. And huge. all of us, and all of us, just you know, woeful ignorance. Oh, you know, man, he must really work out in the off season. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll tell you, the the Phillies, uh, if they if the Phillies win the World Series, I think Charlie Manuel's job as a hitting coach, getting stuff out of guys like Pence. Mayberry, not you know, Carlos Ruiz. Oh, that Carlos Pence, Ruiz Pence was, a... Pence was already there, but the fact that Carlos Ruiz is a, a good offensive player now, Hunter uh, Hunter Pence gives you that right handed balance, and then John Mayberry Jr. And then uh, by the way, Shane Victorino, the year that he's had, I think Charlie Manuel's hitting coach abilities deserve a lot of credit. And then they'll be tested by what we can do with the can he can he keep Ryan Howard from being an automatic out in the postseason? Um, I like the Phillies. 
over New York. You like the Phillies over the Rays, or you like the Rays? I'll say the Phillies over the Rays. We're both picking the Phillies. Well, we'll have plenty more to talk about on the next Baseball America podcast. Do a, probably, they'll probably do a league top. Probably have a couple podcast. of those. Probably have a couple of those next yeah. week as we go. We <laughs> or, have sixteen leagues. Yeah. <laughs> we have sixteen leagues, and I will foist someone onto JJ and make them do the indie league podcast with you. Although I did edit it and enjoy it and try to move up a guy, so I clearly I got into it as guy. I was editing. So. That's okay. Sorry, That's Landon right. Camp. That's exactly right. That's okay. Son of the eighth, fourteenth overall pick in nineteen seventy nine. Don't know if you knew that or not, but. He was the son of a of a first round pick, Landon Camp. Rick, Mike Michael Camp. Michael Camp. I was gonna say I the only that. Camp that I can think of is Rick. But. Michael Camp, 14th overall pick in 1979 by the Detroit Tigers, and his spawn is in indie ball. So you'll have that to look forward to in the next issue of Baseball America. Until the next podcast for JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.